0: Welcome to the Unusual Creatures Podcast, a podcast about the unusual creatures that fall in love, stay, stray, come back, and sometimes leave this insane business of artistry and show.
1: Against all odds, our guests have persevered and told stories using their mediums of choice. Now, these are their stories and our stories.
0: The incredible people who you might know by sight, whose names you may not recognize, whose work you've definitely experienced or will one day experience.
1: Art is a ripple effect, and these artists' creativity makes a lasting impact. Let's hear more.
0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, hello world. We have missed you. It's been too long. I know it's been a week, but we still miss you. (laughs) I'm Thomas Dane. And I'm Jenny Gomez. And this is the Unusual Creatures Podcast. Yay! Jenny, another week down. We're
1: still doing it. We are still doing it. And people are listening, yo. I know. (laughs) I know. They really are. They're liking it.
0: I think so. I think so. The numbers are getting good. How was your, how is your uh, week outside of this?
1: Um, it's good. Trying not to think about world events and actually focusing on talking to the beautiful artists that we get to liaise with on a weekly basis has really actually been a really nice soul salve. Um, it has. You know, not not ignoring the bad, but focusing <laughs> on the good. <laughs>
0: yes. Um, I'm, I'm trying. I know when we started out, if, we, if you're following along with these episodes, like I'm um, the, the dark, depressing one, you know. I still am, but uh, I I'm, I'm learning to embrace more light. That's okay, which I which yeah. I think will correlate um, with this week's episode. Mm-hmm. Our very unique and special guest, Jenny. Tell us who we are talking to.
1: We are talking to the one and only Dank, and Dank holds the distinction of being our first guest, who we do not know directly. We just met Dank. 15 minutes ago,
0: (laughs) (laughs) but we've been we've been studying him for the last few weeks. Yes, we certainly have.
1: And the reason why he's on the podcast today is because he's a friend of our first guest. Albert Benyatta, who everyone, based on our engagement metrics, absolutely loves. <laughs>
0: <laughs> His episode is more popular than ours.
1: <laughs> it certainly is. And we like it that way. Albert's amazing. And any friend of Albert is a friend of ours. Hence why we're talking to Dank today.
0: And we have much to discuss with him, everyone. He holds a lot of titles and is fascinating. So let's just dive in. Ladies and gentlemen, Dank. Hello, Dank.
2: Hello. It's good to be here, um... Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, and look at, listen to that voice. This is I know. I'm totally <laughs> jellies. I'm like, like, are you born that, with that sort of
2: sultryness, or is that something you learn? I'm well, like- actually, surprisingly, I sound a lot more like my mother than my father. And my mother was a big influence on me, more so than my father. She was the funny one. She was the charismatic one. She was smarter, you know, more educated, everything, right? (laughs) So even my handwriting looks like hers. But if you listen, it's the tone is similar, more similar to my mother than my father, actually.
1: We love a little mom appreciation. Yeah, for sure. So let's let's
0: um, jump in, Dank. Tell us. I mean, reading up on you and researching you, there's I mean, there's a wealth of information to go with. But um, what is your artistic core right now? What of your many titles, what is what is what is the thing you're most known for? What is what is your proudest? What's going on with you?
2: I think as of now I would say the proudest is the work I do consulting and coaching people, like influencers and artists and helping them ground their purpose. And what they're doing. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But I'm also a filmmaker. I think that's probably number two. It's just I haven't had wild success with that as much as the coaching
1: well, you're a filmmaker and you can find uh Dank's filmmaking skills on what filmcubby.com, right?
2: Filmcubbyproductions.com, yeah.
1: Filmcubbyproductions. Yeah. Yeah,
2: All of our films are um, totally available, totally free, there's no password, no nothing. Um I'm not precious. I don't think we should be precious necessarily. And <laughs> no. just giving
0: it are giving it away for love, giving it
2: away to the world. Yeah, yeah. and you know, uh who's going to who's is someone going to steal it? Like what's what what are we being precious about? I don't I don't really understand necessarily and and I also believe there's like a sacred space to suck if you're trying to learn anything or get new skill or even your own self-actualization we have to there's a period of sucking and as well as an artist you you have to suck you have to fail a lot and I want to like I tell people like that that should be a sacred space to suck and and embrace it and love it and don't don't feel bad about it because it's it's part of it it's part of the process to mastery
0: i'm already writing that down as part of your merch give Mm -hmm. me a sacred place to suck dank like that's like, really, like that's the t-shirt there's the token
1: right
0: there. yeah no absolutely, absolutely. Brought that up real quick I um as some as someone who's been dabbling in like short films and I mean it's such a beast of a world to try and get into I'm surprised by how many people you can't watch this stuff unless it's on Vimeo pay me for this pay me for that it's like dude it's a six-minute movie I'm not gonna buy a Vimeo I'm not gonna like what what are you holding out for because like, it should be about hey get it out to the world because if you're looking to be seen we'll let the world see it because you don't know who's gonna see it for free that not everybody's got accounts for me and,
2: and realistically like what is a short film it's a calling card so put that calling card out everywhere you can I mean I don't understand what what are you you're trying to make money off of your calling card I mean yeah anyway yeah well and and Dank
1: yeah and you're not so you're a filmmaker and I I think we're going to certainly focus today on your artistic and influencer coaching and I can't wait to dig in um but one of the many other commas the beautiful commas that you embrace you're a youtube creator which i also want to talk to you about because you the youtube creation and being a youtube creator is like a whole other uh, medium to delve into. There's like a whole different way to sort of be a YouTube creator. I've noticed even like the graphics and the things that you use when you're creating YouTube videos has become like kind of its own singular thing, which I find fascinating. You're also a comic book creator, an actor, and a fairly well-known street dancer, correct?
2: In drum and bass music, in the drum and bass scene. So in New York, and I've been doing it since 98. Like I never stopped. really? I'm, I'm a lot older than I look.
1: Um, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, when he said that, our jaws dropped. Because yeah, I we was like, and I was, I was like, "You're 18." We thought Dank was 22. And well, so,
0: where's the drum and like, so the drum and bass place, is, is that like when we see you guys in the park or in the? Are, are, you're not on the train, people. Like, I would feel not, that's no, probably no. not it's enough like, room.
2: It's 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 part of hip hop culture, and it came from the UK. And it's like these dark underground clubs where you know very few people that are really enthusiastic about that music come together and gather. And there, what's great about it is everyone is really there for the music they're not there to have a one night stand like almost no one does that in drum and bass i feel like in the 90s we were really excellent and um and it got kind of uh, simplified the forms of dancing in a way Mm, that's not interesting so i'm trying to bring back that old school Improvised thing. Do you improvise? find that?
0: through... I feel like we can correlate that to. I, I've been in a place like that when I think about just art in general. Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot's gotten dumbed down and simplified in writing, directing, acting. It's fascinating that you see it. it like it's lost some grit or character. And I, I love that that you're like focusing on like where'd this go. Let me let us get back to this. Do you think that's through maybe maybe um I don't know. I want to say appropriation or monetization or do we water the art down as more people discover? Oh my
1: God. What's so funny is you brought this up on Albert's episode too, Tom. Did <laughs> <you> <laughs> did. No, but there's a connection here. There's a reason why you also asked Dank as like the Albert connection. But anyways, please continue. Dank.
2: That that well, it, it makes me think I think it's more about participation and like social media. And when you dumb down the dance form. It allows a lot more people to participate because back in the day, you know, even today, there's only like three or four excellent dance. If I go to a club and a party or whatever and no one's dancing, I'll dance and dance very well to kind of get people into it. And then when people start getting up to dance, I actually bring down my level of dancing significantly because I'm not trying to intimidate people out of the dance floor. So I'm not like that. And if there's another guy that thinks they're the hot shit and they want to take over the dance floor, I will destroy that person. Yeah. (laughs) move away from the dance floor and then i will again bring down my skill level and so i think that's part of it it just makes it easier for everyone to participate when you simplify um the thing or whatever. And maybe that's part of it, like social media and the kind of participatory nature of it.
0: Well, don't you believe I don't. you? Well, I mean, I, cause I just wrote a note down cause I was like, well, it's made me think I'm like, it's one thing it's all for everybody, right? We, everybody can dance. They see you dance and like, I want to do that. So they get up and try and that's great. And, and everybody should participate. But it, then it's another thing where you're asking to be paid for it, to be lauded for it, to teach it, to like, to um be the face of it there's different levels of that and that's where i think we get into like everybody just thinks they can do that like sure you can do it for fun and i'm glad that you're inspired by it but like you're asking for other things now where then you should be better
2: you should understand it more does that yeah no i understand i i totally get what you're saying i I think it would be like um if flamenco was dying out right because drum bass has always been on the edge of death as a scene. So like pretend like flamenco is dying out for some reason and the greatest flamenco dancers are like, we need to create like a simplified version of flamenco to just make it make it accessible. Yeah. And I think that might be one of the motivating factors of why the culture has moved in that direction. Mm. These are Interesting. These are
1: philosophical pontifications. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, I mean, I can see that. I can understand that. Yeah.
1: Well, Dank, let's take it back. Where, we we always want to do this. What's your origin story? Where did Dank and Dank the artist begin?
2: I think it started in church. I went to a Korean church, and and the pastor would speak Korean, and I didn't understand a word of it. And I was so bored. I was so bored. And I was trying not to laugh in by the because of the absurdity of it all. And I will grab the tiny pencil and grab the little church pamphlet, and I would just make up comic book stories and I would make up wild sci fi stories and just write like crazy and just come. That's up awesome all this stuff because I was so bored. Uh, and then I was sent to Bible camp, right? And oh. I would go to Bible camp. And uh, usually, and a lot of Bible camps do this, they they create teams and then they all do um, theater productions at the end of it and present like a show. Even as a child, when I was like four, five, six, I would be the one writing the show. And and, and I, I don't even remember having any trouble with creativity, which just flow out of me. But I wasn't You know, I don't know, and I wasn't even that Christian, but it was just, yeah, Jesus brought me to uh, to the arts. Yeah. Well,
0: then it was divine. Then, then there's your divine circles. There you go. The boredom itself was divine. Inspiring, yeah. Was, were your was your family heavily religious, or was this just we needed to go because we needed to go?
2: Yeah. No, my parents met at church, and many Koreans are Christian, but like, I don't think my dad actually believes in Jesus. It's more that. The church became a community point. So, like any sure. Koreans that came to America, they would go to the church to meet all the Koreans in the neighborhood. It's of like, course, yeah. people don't understand the theology or the philosophy behind it whatsoever. No. Um, and like, as are going many, to
1: drink coffee together and talk shit.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even <laughs> recently, I've been actually teaching the philosophy of. The Jesus man or whatever, you know, without the the magic of it and explaining how he, he helps people shift reality through like I've been reinterpreting the miracles, actually, and realizing maybe they weren't miracles. And it was just him showing people how to see the world differently and it was seen as a miracle. you, you want an I example? actually
1: don't disagree with that on I, any I, point. Yeah. I can
2: give you very Do you want an example like a really Yeah, specific. yeah, sure. Okay. So you know the story of the feeding of the multitudes with the yes. two fish, three bread, the right? In the oh, right? right, 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 right yeah. Yeah. So this happens twice in the in this in the books. And the story is like, you know, they go into the desert and there's like tons of people with them and the disciples are like, Yo, Jesus, um, you, you know, we don't have enough food for all these people. We're like in the middle of the desert, you know? And Jesus is like, It's all right, it's all right. What do we got? What do we got? They're like, okay, we got two pieces of fish, three pieces of bread. It's like all right. Um um here, let's just here and he, he gets up on the hill. It's like, all right, everybody, we're gonna start the lecture, okay? But first I want everyone to eat lunch. We're not gonna start until everyone eats lunch, right? What do we got? What do we got? You know they give him the bread and the fish. He's like, all right, give it out and he gives it out to the front row. He's like, all right, we're gonna start after you eat, you know. And people in the audience are like, What the hell's going on? Someone's like, Jesus, did you eat Jesus? He's like, No, no, it's okay. I'm gonna we're gonna start after everyone eats, right? And someone's like, Did he just give everything away? What what the hell's going on, right? There's one guy in the audience is like, Well shit, I do have all these apples so I'm secretly stashing and another mm. guy in the audience is like, Well, damn, I do have this extra wine I'm holding. And then that one guy's like, hey, you want an apple? The other person's like, hey, you want some wine? Everyone starts sharing their secret stash because they're not idiots. They didn't go to the desert with nothing. They all came with a bunch of stuff, but they watched Jesus give it away completely for free. So then they all start sharing and then there's abundance. And and, and in both accounts, there's leftovers afterwards. It doesn't say that the fish multiplied or the bread multiplied. It just says, this is what happened, this happened, and this happened. And what I'm saying is he showed that by giving everything away, you can show abundance rather than hoarding and thinking there's scarcity and competing and seeing each other as different. And I think that's what happened
1: actually. Oh, I that love makes that so much thing. more
2: sense. It does make well, more yeah. sense, right? Yeah. I mean, it's,
1: it's not ex- mystical. The sixth no,
0: grade Catholic school kid in me was who I this is the part where I'm like, mm, now I'm just hungry. And she was like two pay <laughs> like two minutes in and I was like, Whatever. I'm like
2: <laughs> it's like I should listen harder, but now it's go ahead. Oh, even like water into wine? So he goes to the wedding, right? And then the guy running the wedding's like, Oh, the wine order's not coming in time. Someone ordered it the wrong <laughs> time. We're so we're so sorry. This is really embarrassing. Wedding Wait, without no. wine, oh my gosh. And she's like, Now ah, whatever, here, give me a wine cup give me a, what's this water over here? Is water here? So people start, they're like, What really? They drink the water in Wine cups, and then they just like think it's wine. And next thing you know, they start getting looser and they have the time of their lives. Okay. And then I tested this. I would go to parties, right? And I would bring cases of LaCroix instead. And I know like some people are like avoiding drinking, or there's people that are recovering alcoholics. I'm like, and then I would notice like I'm drinking more LaCroix than ever in my life. Like I'm almost like rushing to crack another LaCroix to feel. And every time I crack that LaCroix, I feel more comfortable and relaxed. And I would see the people with just LaCroix getting loud and loose. And it's like a a placebo you know It's happening, but it's still working. Like you know, it's water, but it's still giving you the effects of alcohol. And that's when I was like, "Oh wait, that's that's what happened."
1: Well, and I think too, by opening up the opportunity, especially for people that like might have been scared to say no to a drink or were hiding the fact that they wanted to actually be drinking Lacroix, which I know like a lot of friends in recovery do that. They're like they're ashamed to go to a party and tell people because it makes people uncomfortable. But you're opening the door for them, and then everyone can just sort of drink their Lacroix without judgment and every and of course everyone's going to get more comfortable right out the gate
2: and uh this podcast is brought to you by Lacroix. so yeah. <laughs> please
1: please Lacroix, call him. so what happened after church dank
2: um i was a uh, I i was a pretty depressed kid to be honest like growing up in the 90s and, and realizing like so i did actually believe in jesus and stuff and the theology and i understood the philosophy of jesus early on i thought it was kind of revolutionary and subversive but it but then i realized like no one else really believed it like in the church you know like in very, it was very confusing <laughs> to me and and i would just see hypocrisy everywhere and then um and then growing up as like, i'm an asian guy right so growing up in the 90s we were just overlooked and underestimated a lot and kind of like Taken for granted, and and actually, I used to resent that, um, and I used to wish I was born in Korea because I know if I was born in Korea, people would just love me, and I'd have been more popular. Blah blah blah. However, not being like that, being born here, I believe made me more empathetic to all minorities and like what it is to be all kinds of minorities in such a deep, much deeper way, where. I feel I'm wise beyond what I ever could have been if I was born, like popular and everything in Korea. So um, once I like realized a lot about the world, I, I became super grateful I was born here and, and suffered because that suffering kind of taught me so much. So anyway, and then I go to school. Um, I'm creative. I get good grades. But then I realize like kids that study hard, they're just obsessed with studying and they don't know why they're doing it. So I just stopped studying. I had ADHD. I have ADHD even now, right? So I'm kind of going backwards. But. I almost died when I was a month old. Uh, it was hailed as a miracle that I survived. So it was like a full page in the New York Post, Miracle Baby. Really? Right. Yeah in 1984 because I had a cyst in my throat and they had to use laser surgery at the time. That was like really prototypes, uh, type of surgery. And, um, and they told my mom, he has a 20% chance of surviving and I survived. Right. And I asked my mom, she was 27 at the time. I was like, what were you thinking? You know, when I, when I was 27, that's when I asked her. Right. And she said, oh yeah, I prayed to God that I would accept your death. And I was like, (gasps) damn, damn Damn, woman. Um, and then I lived, you know, and I have a feeling because I survived death multiple times, it may have prevented me from being tiger mommed too much because mm. my mother would sometimes do that. But then she would see kind of my despair and kind of pull back. And and a lot sure. of Asian parents don't pull back. Yeah. And I think because I almost died so many times they did. And then um, at the age of three, I almost died again. I had to be helicoptered to a hospital. Something again with my throat. I have all these scars on my neck. You can see from that stuff. And, and then my first memories kick in. Like I'm waking up at night in the middle of a hospital at night with a yellow bucket and I'm puking blood into the yellow bucket. Like that's my first <gasps> memories.
1: That's and I got two- That's color my memory. memory. Yeah. But
2: it's not traumatic to me because I don't know what's happening. That like pain and misery is existence at that time. So like, I didn't know it like that it didn't happen per se. And then I remember my dad coming over and he's like, you want, would you want anything? I'll get you anything you want. And I was like, anything I want. What the fuck? What is he talking about? Anything I want. You never give me anything I want. That's what I'm thinking. Right. But he looks so desperate to give me something. And I'm confused because he's so desperate. And I'm like, okay, um, Ghostbuster walkie talkies. Right. So he goes <laughs> out and he gets regular ass walkie talkies because he's an immigrant. He doesn't know what he's doing. Oh, no. And I hold them in my hand. I look at him looking desperate. And I'm, I realize like, okay, he, he really wants me to like this. So I say, thanks, dad. This is exactly what I wanted. And I lied to him so that he would be relaxed. And I saw, I saw at the age of three that no one knows what the heck they're saying. Like... That everyone is speaking with subtext, and people mm. don't know what they're thinking. Actually, like people are really unaware of their mental processes. Um, oh, I think
0: that probably a lot of us are hit with those moments, but don't um, process it. I think we we internalize it. You, ch- you were a strong enough three year old or gifted three year old, whatever, or the divine touched you, or who knows that you processed this. And was able to use that in some way, where a lot of us were just like went along with it and stuffed it down, which caused, which leads to other PTSD and traumas and <laughs>
2: everybody's. Oh know. yeah, and kids are kids are actually really more perceptive than we know, and it baffles me that adults sometimes. When I, when I see adults not realize that, I'm like, wait, they they know what's. They're they're much more cognizant of what's happening than you realize them. But yeah, I don't I'm
0: know. so fascinated because uh, um, I'm, I'm fascinated by a bunch of things you said. But we don't have six hours already, and we're only a few minutes in. I was thinking when you were talking earlier about embracing the fact that you were Korean here. It made me think because each one of us right now here we are sitting in a, a marginalized group, right? Mm-hmm. Like a Latina woman, a gay man, and and a Korean man in America. And you embraced this gift of marginalization and turned it into a power. And I was like, oh, I wish I had realized that sooner. And but I, I feel like, so you took that. I feel like did you yeah. take you so from there what you take all that into your work and create what this universe of like where to go first after you hit well, adulthood like wh- how do you become you well know?
2: so actually during my teenage years I was very depressed and angry because I was woke in the 90s and, and nobody was woke in the night you know what I mean like you know, and, and then when I was 18 I went to new school and I study like Women's studies existential all these philosophies and stuff there was a whole community of people like me and that in mm-hmm. fact i wasn't alone and that um i was part of a you know i was part of a huge culture like i wasn't alone you know i just i always thought i was alone and then mm. instead of hating and resisting the messed up world i accepted the world was messed up i just accepted it and then from there i was like okay what will i do to change it mm. or or i should just Stop complaining, because mm-hmm. my main criticism with wokeness is it's just to me it's it's more complaining than doing something. Mm-hmm. Or I think a lot activism,
1: of virtue signaling in yeah, that action.
2: Oh yeah, mm-hmm. but Malcolm Gladwell mentioned this in his podcast. But activism requires sacrifice. Without sacrifice, there is no activism. And if you're just virtue signaling, getting social currency out of it, you're not. Mm-hmm really sacrificing anything.
1: Well well t- let's talk about your let's talk a little bit about your artistic journey too. Because okay. I know all of this is clearly affecting I can hear why you make such an impact on artists when you're coaching them. But let's talk about Dank's mm-hmm. art and how this journey that we've talked about thus far brought you to, to creation. Aside from your delicious little comic books in church.
2: Um well I definitely always I have almost always written female protagonists and different protagonists of color since but i realized like if we can share stories that really connect on a human level then we understand each other you know so I, i think stories can create empathy and i feel like especially now when totalitarianism is on the rise and truth is so fragmented it's it's that's the time when artists must step up and present a new truth because art is fiction. Art is not even real. It's not true, but it's something that you will believe in with all of your heart. Like you watch a silly movie, like you'll believe it, even though it's ridiculous. Like a superhero movie, right? You'll believe they're flying. You'll you'll let yourself believe. You'll suspend your disbelief to take it in, and that's what art does. It has this unique ability of like you know showing the new truth. And I think this happened with the surrealists after World War One. This is a cycle. And now I believe we're in a new cycle and we have to step up. There's like a biological evolutionary need for artists to shift the culture and help us evolve, honestly.
1: Yeah, and it's so it- funny because we had a guest, uh, Jack, who said the same thing, that storytelling is our greatest vehicle for empathy. So that aligns exactly to what you're saying. And then we had our journalist, Alan, that talked a lot about this fragmentation of truth. And, mm-hmm. and it, I think so It's there's such a through line between so many of the other things that, you know, the other artists that we've talked to have said. So I just, I love that it's, I love the ripple effect. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: I I also think we're in the age of the super creator because we, the internet, because of the internet, I can say I have like 30 fully fleshed, commercially viable projects that are totally unique and separate, but I believe are commercially super viable. That's not a normal thing to say yet. I believe there's actually like Many of us right now, we're coming of age and you're going to realize like we're in the age of the super creator that's able to Mm -hmm. kind of merge all these different ideas and create new things. So like there's this uh, chess metaphor I use to explain infinite creativity. Uh, Have you heard of the Shannon number in chess? No, I have not. The Shannon number is the exact possible number of chess games that exists. And that number is 10 to the power of 120. So the current estimate of every atom in the known universe right now, in physics right now, is 10 to the power of 78. So somehow, the game of chess creates more possible combinations of play than every atom in the known universe. So use that like metaphor to think of any art you're making. So the medium, the book, the play, the whatever, that's the board. Your pieces are your you know themes characters whatever and then the key to getting the infinite though is to play not know so you don't play chess knowing the entire game before you start no one plays chess. you play not knowing and you play to win you play to lose right but the key is to play and that's when you get the infinite and i believe there's not enough play going on in creation because there's so much pressure to succeed in all this but mm-hmm. when you allow that room to play you're going to it's beyond the infinite nature of the universe. its I don't think we've scratched the surface of what's possible,
1: actually. Mm. Oh my God. I love See, that. And I'd
0: sit here every day like, it's over. There's nothing left. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, never mind. I'm like I, I, that That really got me. Thank you. I like to find a little hope once in a while.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, when I run out of hope, you know, I just listen to a, a script writing podcast Stuff I just listen to podcasts of creatives, and while doing chores or whatever, I'm like, oh yeah. It's, so do you
0: yeah. juggle everything at once? Okay, so comic book YouTuber, dancing, writer, director, teacher—like, do you just do all of this at once? And like, a, like each hour of the day, you a lot to like <laughs> tell us a little bit, expand into a little bit all of your areas. And you're writing, directing. I went to your website, mm-hmm. which you can all go to his website. Um, uh, film copy film, copy productions, productions. Mm-hmm. productions, and uh, watch the shorts that are. I, I enjoyed my. Can you expand into your writing and directing?
2: Yeah. So I think the reason I I do so many different things actually is it's more of a symptom of ADHD than anything. Doing multiple things helps energize everything else. And then even if these things all sound very disparate, they will all inform each other. And I will learn pieces of this, will teach me how to deal with that, will teach me how to deal with this and that and that and that. So I coach a lot of people and they ask me like, wow, how do you know so much? Did you take these classes? Did you have a guru? Did you study this and that? And I'll be like, actually, the most I learned was was from being a barista for 20 years, over 20 years, and really seeing people in all walks of life and watching people underestimate me and see me as like a failure. Like, I love that, actually. I love it when people see me that way. And I get to see, like, I get to experience how other people feel when they're looked down on. And I've learned so much more from working as a barista than and anywhere else in life, so and and again, that that's part of that whole thing where this can be a microcosm to understand this and that
1: and that. One consistently informs the other, even if it's just your quote unquote day job. Yeah, and and
2: and and, and, and grappling with the ambiguous too there's like when you do that you have to grapple with a lot of the ambiguous things in life and and that's fun for me that's like a puzzle for me and when i solve it or when it becomes less ambiguous there's like a newfound sense of clarity that can arise from just like understanding more of the interconnectedness of everything like i was at a penthouse party with all these like rich famous people and i i just i told that chess metaphor to a wall street journal guy right he's like wow, that's incredible. Where How did you, what do you do? And I was like, I'm a barista. And I just like walked away, you know, like, because. and I have people that get actually really upset at me that I do barista work to be on. Like some of the people I coach, actually, some of them have incredible amounts of wealth or whatever. And they, it just really frustrates them that I would ever have a low paying job. It frustrates people.
1: It's probably a horrible correlation, but I always think of goodwill hunting. <laughs> When like it was just about doing good honest work, and he was like, "It's good honest work," and everybody got super pissed at him because he was like wasting his brain being a construction worker, Mm -hmm. and he just like just saw the merit in doing good honest work. That doesn't take away anything from anybody, you know?
2: Yeah, no, I totally. I don't
1: know know why Goodwill Hunting came to mind, but it's what came to mind. (laughs)
0: I mean, that's also life in uh, life in general. Uh, one of the big topics that has come back around is, you know, start pushing vocational schools again. Like, why is it that every kid has to go to college? Mm. Why do we all have to end up in the Ivy League? This is work that nobody else wants to do. You know, so like you can charge, you know, what you're worth and people will pay it. And mm. and it, there's nothing wrong with it to have spent your life saying, well, this is what I did.
1: Why are the you doing it? trades dying? are dope. Yeah, the trades are dope. That's another narrative shift that needs to happen.
2: I think there has to be like a reassessment of our kind of values. I believe like most of us, we have parents that likely, generally speaking, had more scarcity than we had, like generally mm. speaking, right? They lived in a world with more scarcity and they were thinking of the best way to get out of scarcity. And then they raised children with that s- the same belief system. But we don't live in that same world. And that disconnect is what causes so much of our suffering. Like I meet kids that went to Ivy League schools and they're always like having panic attacks every day because they don't know who they are. Like, yeah, I know lots of people that did everything right. And they, they realize like they don't know what the hell they're doing.
1: Well, what? So of all these, I think I might know the answer, but I would I would love to hear from you, Dank. What's a moment with all of this amazing work that you've created a moment that you were like, this is why I do what I do. Like this is the thing that makes it worth it for me.
2: Well, in terms like, of like it could know, have
1: been a comic book, it could have been an episode on the dank show on YouTube. Um, it could have been a coaching session. Like, what was a moment like where like this is gonna fill my cup for months to come?
2: I can kind of answer in in the separate disciplines, sort of. I can give a sure. different answer for each, but you know, I don't have to, but
1: no, um, no, please do. I would. I mean, whatever comes to mind. If that's what your first instinct was, please go with that.
2: Um, well, with the YouTube channel, it's a comic book based channel, right? And initially I was just talking about comic books and collecting comics and blah, 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 blah. And then this new character was coming out named Aaron Fisher, who's like a queer Captain America, right? People got really upset about it. People, and and the, the voices on the right in nerd culture are very powerful, you know, and there's there's very few voices on the left that can stand up to that in nerd culture, it, and I'm generalizing, of course, but um, but no one was no one was pushing back on this, right? And the thing is, he was called um the Captain America of the train yards, and he was like a, he was a homeless kid who and he adopted the identity of captain america to like protect other homeless kids that are you know out there or whatever and i like like push back on it yeah i was like you guys this character makes total sense like him being queer makes sense in terms of the story itself it wasn't like they shoehorned any of this in this was very organic and pushing back on people hating on this character you know before even understanding it fully and I was scared to release that because I created a fluffy channel about collecting comics. Right, I have to do this. I just have to do this. So I put it out, and yeah, it it resonated. It actually, I think it it made me realize like I can actually go deeper on this channel because people, um, m- most people responded very well to it, and most people were grateful that I was saying anything about it. And then later, I did like episodes on living with depression and anxiety, and episodes on like you know just philosophy and life. And I just started to go more in that direction and i realized like it was really helping people on a more mask because i coach one-on-one but on youtube then i can like hundreds of people at once and, and i, I read like, some
1: of the comments on your youtube on some of your youtube videos and they're all really positive which is i feel like there's a sea change happening in youtube comments in, in general but mm-hmm. um but you but your but your comment your commenters are uh, quite lovely
2: which I mean, is I a wonderful
1: reach- monic which is a wonderful measure of the content you create.
2: Well, I also realize like so if I can I can reach these comic book people that are so far removed from wisdom teachings or gurus or you know being able to afford like some coach or whatever and and that's that's more my thing. Like I want to reach as many people as possible. I've been very close to success where I had to compromise values to yeah. get to the next level but i have no regrets i have no regrets cuz i I've, I've also i have also friends that have gone to higher levels Mm-hmm. And I know they're not happy and they're kind. Oh, yeah. Too. Yeah, because they likely had to compromise a lot of their values.
1: That's what- a, no, it's so funny because I, I, like Alan also talked about, there's some through lines too, like talked about not compromising his values and not involving himself in like a quid pro quo situation just to get like more copy, you know, and more lines to write. And it's the same kind of thing. It's like, I think your art, you know, he was like, I suffered either way. He was like, but my art and my integrity didn't suffer. And isn't that more important? So
2: yeah and and to me uh, that's that's sacrificing. For, you know what I mean like to me you need to sacrifice otherwise you're just complaining I mean I'm, I mean, this is a it's a dicey subject but
0: and so it, it shouldn't, it's, the sad part is that like here here we are so far in and it shouldn't be a dicey subject it should just be the truth it should just be like this is it and this is what we should be doing and you guys still aren't doing it and why is this dicey because what you want to reprimand me for some reason for actually just being a decent human being like <laughs> I thought we were going to be in a better place
2: <laughs> the I way don't want to come it. across as like judging people now necessarily because i also know how hard it was like it was so hard for me to make some certain decisions and i really like i couldn't sleep at night i was like man did i make a mistake um even my first web series that was like 2008 or so. i did a big multiverse web series like a sci-fi lo-fi sci-fi thing and um this young director this woman she believed in it first so she's like i'm gonna direct it's like okay cool and then because she believed in it and she's beautiful, this other beautiful model person wanted to work on it. And this beautiful person wanted to work. And then all these people that were really re- well-resourced and connected all wanted to work on the project, right? But then they realized how good the pro- or they, they were telling me how good the project was. Each of them, they were, almost all of them were like, hey, you should fire everyone else take this project with me and, you know, and we'll bring it to the next level because you're yeah. better than all of them. But again, no regrets. And, and it wasn't like a perfect project anyway. So like, even yeah. if now I know in hindsight, like I could do better than that. But um, yeah, but these are choices yeah. that we're all going to face. And I think we don't realize, I, I wish we talked about it more as artists because we are going to face a lot of these kind of choices. And
0: well, you know, there's, there's, there's unfortunate truth, you know, the more that I've gotten into writing and, and doing my own stuff that I, I I can feel people being like latching on and being like, you know, if I mention like, um, I want to do a reading of something new. Like, oh, you're going to, I mean, oh, I you know, I did the, you were telling me about the idea. So maybe, you know, you're telling me that I'm like, well, we are going to come to crossroads or like, I can't, you can't control everybody's career. You can't bring everybody right away sometimes. Cause maybe you can be like, okay, well then this is, if it's right, you can be like, I need to do this and I'll come back for you. And we all need to be okay and accept that it's just not going to work out in the exact way that we thought. And sometimes it's going to be sacrifice.
2: Yeah, I get that. That happened recently. I am th- I have a pilot script that I sent out to several producers. And there's like a, a, a bigger, much bigger Hollywood producer that read it and said, this can get you signed. Okay, I'm going to just quote unquote, he said that, right? So I was like, oh shit, a produ- Hollywood producer just said this can get me signed. And there's another producer in New York who's not, a big shot at all and he's like i want to make this so the got the other producers like this can get you signed but not like i want to make this right right the producer here is like i want you know i want to make this a movie but it's a tv series he's like we can get this made as a movie i'm like yeah but you know this is really a sample to get into a tv show like this is that's what this really is like when it comes down to it i'm not necessarily trying to get it made right away just like matthew Wiener. Um, The Mad Men pilot helped him get the job at Sopranos. And then once he established himself, then he made Mad Men. So that's sort of more the idea of what I'm doing. But this, uh, the New York producer was really hounding me about like, well, you know, the chances of this. And then I'm like, yeah, but dude, you're not listening. Like, this is a sample. This is not... Mm -hmm. And it's not a movie, too, because he's thinking, how can I make it? And, you know, and I have this opportunity for you, but I'm like, yeah, but... But you're not to make it, need to make it right. Yeah, I got to make you're it right. And
1: Well, Dank, and we're going to, you've talked a lot of, I mean, I love that we're talking about the sacrifices that artists have to make, because you're right, I think we all have these stories of these moments where, like, we almost made it, or could have made it, or we had to make a decision, and then, or the thing that we thought was going to be the thing that made us big wasn't. Given that, and I'm going to steal Tom's thunder here, what <gasps> oh, is... No. What's happening? (laughs) I'm going to do it. I'm going to go to the dark place. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. What is your greatest regret?
2: I've learned not to have regrets anymore. Okay. This is like, I hate, I, you know, it's one of those stupid questions. Like, I mean, stupid answers. Like, you know, what's your greatest weakness, you know, in a job interview. Right. I realized at a certain point that I, I should have died a lot. Like I really cheated death so many times. And then I started to understand that there's an infinite multiverse. So then I started to, come to the belief that I did die all those times. Every time anyone has almost died, you did die on another earth. Every time you've almost lost everything, you did lose everything on another earth. There are other versions of you that are doing better than you. There are other versions that are doing worse than you, or they did better and then they did worse, or worse and then better, right? There's countless earths where you do not exist, and in some sense, you are the alternate version of you on this alternate earth. This is the alternate earth. You are the alternate version of you. What, for what? What does that mean? I don't know. But it can mean, I still firmly believe every individual has the ch- ability to completely change the world through a series of choices. Like it's not. It doesn't have to be that wild or whatever. Never take for granted how improbable it is that we exist. Like, the, even the elements of life to occur in the universe is so improbable. We shouldn't be here. Like, none of us should be here. And I think we take this for granted. I had, Oh, I had a huge... Okay. Oh, I remember. I remember the regret. Um,
0: <laughs> there, is one, <laughs> there is one. There is one.
2: There uh, is one. One that I really... I was uh, uh, studying acting with this professor who's, like, from Tish or whatever. And she told me in class on the side. Because I didn't know what acting was. I thought acting was pretending. And then I learned that acting was about true art pure honesty and that just blew my mind right it just blew my mind i was like wait it's about being so honest right i was like okay i can do that so i was doing that and i was 18 and the acting teacher was like you know i think you're actually pretty good at this if you come to i'm doing a shakespeare in the park production in westchester if you show up on this day or whatever i'm gonna give you a part without auditioning right i didn't show up you know i didn't go And, and and i don't know i like I feel like I stopped myself from going, and I don't know why. So yeah, I regretted it. But then I realized, like, I wasn't totally secure with who I was. Like, once I understood this multiverse idea, and I would meditate on it, and then I just saw that whole life trajectory of me being 18, getting famous, but doing, like, shitty roles because Asian men have nothing or especially when I was 18 right there was like no good roles right so maybe I get famous I play kind of shitty roles and I'm already insecure I'm not totally secure with myself and then I become an alcoholic and then I become a coke head and then my (laughs) my fame (laughs) rises and then drops and I get nothing I get cynical and jaded and 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 I know actors that did that where they went up and then nothing you know and I I was like maybe I think that's what could have happened actually like I would have Got maybe gotten like this early wild success. I know I didn't know myself very well then, as I do now, and I don't know if I could have handled that success. And that happens a lot too. Well, that's funny. Kids, that's something
0: actually know. we've discussed when we were discussing the blueprints for this for this whole show. Mm-hmm. Is that as much as we aren't like she sold out to corporate America. I'm still sitting here poor and trying, you know. And and like where is the happy medium? But like if it had happened, like and this is dating all three of us now. But like because I don't even think they do it anymore. But we, like we both, she and I were like, we both in our 20s, we would be e true Hollywood stories by now. Absolutely. We, we, I was totally not ready to handle the level, not mentally. I, w- I would was, I can say both of us because we've discussed it. We were not prepared. Yeah. We thought we were. We knew, but like we would have been a goddamn, man. we've been everywhere. Lindsay Lohan and us would have been like,
1: what? Oh my God. Lindsay Lohan would have had nothing on me. A bat to a paparazzi SUV would have been like a Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I would have been a mess. morning at 7 30. Like. Holy shit.
2: I, I, really think so when i coach people i really focus more on feeling complete without without anyone else telling you you're complete really grounding and grounding a purpose outside of yourself completely because if you need if your goal is oriented to you know feed your ego you're you are in a very dangerous place i think in my opinion and and i've and i've in some of the people i've coached they've entered those dangerous areas where they start you know talking about this person has that many followers and i have this many followers and whatever i'm like no 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 <laughs> you know you're different people stop comparing like no one is you and and i also remind this person like you know you are actually so unique you, you don't realize it enough. but we are at a place of
0: people like you and we're coming out of an indoctrination like that's yeah. million that's every that's 90 of the world still that's everybody 95 percent. it's like everybody is following and trying to think i have to do this like, i have to be a kardashian I have to, and as much as in the moments where you are peaceful and you're like, I want to be higher than this. Something will happen. You'll be like, now I'm low again because I'm not worthy. And it's, it's, and thank God for people like you who are like, the work must be difficult (laughs) it'd be like shaking people to be like no no we can be better than this I,
2: i have to try because i honestly like because i've survived death so many times i've had a gun to the face i've had like all kinds of stuff has happened to me because i've almost had so many close calls or whatever um and i've been to many funerals of friends i've been to lots of funerals of friends and i know many close friends that died i just imagine like if i was i got shot and i'm dying you know, and I'm, and I don't want to die. I don't like it. It hurts. You know, that very last moment, I want to live my life so that that very last moment, I go, eh. You know, just like eh, you did your, you did your bloody best. You know, like you know, you did your best every day you did, you tried I don't take death for granted or life for granted so it's like that fight club scene with the gun in the guy's face you know the when Brad Pitt puts the gun to that guy's face and makes him realize like his life is more precious than he realized and then and he goes to try to be a veterinarian or that's the idea behind it so the people I've coached they've gotten like TED talks and book deals and became like super famous right since like when I started with them they were like not that famous and like wild success and right if I can help someone help other people on on this in this multiplicity kind of level or whatever um i just can't believe this life we're in it just makes me feel like life is more miraculous and that that's
0: it's so fascinating you know it brings me back for a quick second um to when earlier on we were discussing and we all had like a shock moment like when you're talking to your mother about your death and she was like i prayed that mm-hmm. god would what did she say exactly again i
2: would accept his death that she prayed would... like, i'll accept his death
0: and each of us were like, oh, my God. We were like, oh, my God. But really, like, I, I think about that and, like, what a strength that takes in a calm. Because she has to keep going. Like, if this is going to be where you're going to give me, Lord, then you've got to give me the strength to get me through. And I feel like that's what you've been teaching
2: this whole time. It really, it's like a lot of traumatic events is what allowed me to see the truth of things, you know. And I don't wish that on anyone. Right. Like, you experience so much trauma that you see the world differently. But sure. that's basically kind of what it is. And if I can teach people these lessons without them getting traumatized, that's awesome.
1: You take in the suffering for yourself.
2: Amen. And and turn your sufferings into wisdom teachings, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, if you can overcome that trauma, because I know it's hard. I know trauma is super difficult. And I, I also deal with people that have trauma and you can't just talk them out of it. And it's very like frustrating when people just try to talk about it. So I'm like, it's, it's deeper than, it's not rational anyway. It's like, it's part of a deeper part of the brain. They have to first feel safe. And then, yeah. yeah. And and it's like a whole nother thing. That's a whole different topic, but yeah.
1: Well, Dank, on that note, I actually, it's not going to feel shameless at all to ask you to plug how people can get in contact with you. um, For the myriad of reasons. for, (laughs) For a myriad of reasons. Um, and specifically to do, it sounds like some of this coaching work is really where you're sort of focusing a lot of your energy. So let's, let's uh, shameless, not so shamelessly plug that. And then we Uh, can talk about where to find you on the interwebs.
2: You could find me on Instagram at the dank show channel on Instagram at the dank show channel. And you can find my film work at, um, Um, I, otherwise I don't, I don't have any other social media and my well, youtube channel. you have channel, your
1: youtube channel. Yeah.
2: That's the Dank show. And yeah, and if and I love to collaborate and write. But the the coaching stuff, okay, this is the thing. This is the weird thing. Um I don't I don't necessarily take on clients cuz I don't charge money. Ah. That's the thing. So I can't. So you just have like... to
1: be blessed with the connection, guys. Sorry, sorry, but, See, this, definitely... but this, <laughs> is at same,
0: this is the same. the same time where people are like, "This is why you're you're still a barista. Like you could be making money, which I I, I appreciate so much that you just want to give it away. Um, it's, it's fascinating though that you you it what trumps it more for you is just the love of helping.
2: Because again, if we do acts wild acts of kindness that are non transactional, is the highest expression of oneness that we are one that there is. When we have to have transaction, it only emphasizes our separateness, which only emphasizes scarcity, mindset, fear-based thinking. And if you just do, I feel like if you take a fraction of all the, all the energy you put in yourself, like take, take like 5% of all the energy and bullshit you do for yourself and give it away. The effect is that's the true uh, pillar of enli- like serving is considered one of the pillars of enlightenment. And I think people take it for granted. They think, oh, because that's a good thing to do. It's not because it's a good thing to do. It's because once you reemphasize the oneness of reality, you will see reality differently. And it will give you incredible insights that make you seem much wiser than you should be. It's because of that. It's because it's getting in your bones when you do that. I mean, there was that study where they gave out 20 bucks to two two groups. One group spends it on themselves. The other group spends it on someone else. You spend 20 bucks on yourself. You feel good for like an hour or two and then it fades. They found if you spend on someone else, you'll feel good all the way into the night, into the next day because actually our nature, by our actual human natures, we love to serve actually. And I, I think if you try a little bit, you'll be surprised. And again, yeah, I have, I have clients that they get very frustrated that I don't make more money and they, they try to pay me. And like they, they ask to pay me many times and, and I'll just say, pay it forward pay it forward and like really though
0: well i think i think everybody being coached by dank just like when he's not looking throw
2: two hundred dollars on the floor and run away that's just <laughs> like,
0: that's what I'm just, looking, just run away. <laughs>
2: yeah anyway if i can save a couple of lives by empowering an activist to help people feel like they should exist again means more than all the money in the world i think that's why i have to do it for free and and because it's free it becomes more miraculous like in, in every way, you know? Oh, and they can't just call me every week, right? They got, a, they got boundaries. to they gotta yeah. Boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah, I can set crazy boundaries. I'm like, I don't know, I'm not busy. I'm busy, whatever, you know? Well, um, Dank,
0: you have been, a fa- I mean, like I want to go on for the next six hours. Um, So you're going to have to come back and, I feel like you should have your own podcast show and um, I mean, have call channel. in people and call in people. I but have like call in people and like, yes. you know, like, like Delilah at night, you know, like, and talk to people. So you've been fascinating. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Albert, when you listen to this for um, letting us know about Dank. Yeah, this has been great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Oh, thank you. Um, It's a lot of fun.
0: Another episode concludes uh, follow us on the social medias and um, keep. Keep listening and keep commenting and please follow our guests, follow Dank, go to our link tree and see where everybody's at. And Jennifer, how do you feel?
1: Yeah. I mean, subscribe, tell your friends, send out an email, share a link, you know, the drill. drop a review. We love a good review. Fuck, we love a bad one too. Actually, not really, but you know, I'm we'll ready for
0: one. Go ahead. We want me. the engaged.
1: I <laughs> really wants the bad ones. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Dank, thank you again. You were an incredible guest. I think you're really going to inspire a lot of people to think very differently. And we'd love that. Thanks so much for listening to The Unusual Creatures. We love telling the stories of these creatives, and we hope you love listening to them.
0: You know the drill. Subscriber, you love listening to pods. Send links to your friends and tell everyone you know about this show. And I mean, everyone. Counting the minutes until we meet again. And keep
2: being unusual creatures.